Book 1, Chapter 5 of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick McClear. Book 1, Chapter 5 Rise of Idolatry, the Patriarch Job. Genesis 10, 6-12, Job Sacred history does not record many facts connected with the immediate descendants of Noah. The scene of the confusion of tongues continued to attract around it a large number of the early inhabitants of the world, and here was established one of the earliest of the great empires of the earth by Nimrod, a son of Cush and grandson of Ham. Of great powers and gigantic stature, he first obtained widespread renown by his exploits as a mighty hunter and the services he rendered the surrounding populations by ridding them of the terror of noxious and terrible animals. In process of time, however, he combined with his exploits as a hunter the conquest of men and founded a great empire on the plains of Shinar, the chief towns of which were Babel, Erek, Edessa, Akkad, Nisibis, and Calne, Tesiphon. Thence, for such seems to be the meaning of Genesis 10:11, he extended his dominions along the course of the Tigris into Assyria among the descendants of Shem, where he founded a second group of cities, Nineveh, Rehoboth, Calah, and Rezin. At a period when men's lives were prolonged so far beyond the period now allotted them, it is probable that this great conqueror may have carried on his successful invasions for nearly two hundred years, and after death was worshipped under the title of Belus, or Bel, the Lord. Certainly the vast ruins that overspread the site of the ancient Babylonian empire seem to tell of the days when there were great heroes on the earth, and to Nimrod the modern Arabs ascribe all the great works of ancient times, the Burst Nimrud near Babylon, Tel Nimrud near Baghdad, and the Mount of Nimrud near Mosul. Whether the practice of idolatrous worship was introduced, as some have supposed, by this great hero of the ancient world or not, certain it is that mankind became more and more addicted to idolatry. Though the knowledge of the one true God and the promise of salvation had been handed down by tradition, and though his invisible attributes, even his eternal power and Godhead, were clearly to be discerned in the works of creation, Romans 1, 20, yet mankind glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. They began to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. The sun, moon, and stars, the principle of fire, even the inferior animals and departed heroes, came to be regarded with veneration and usurped the worship due only to the supreme. With idolatry came its usual consequences, a deep moral degeneracy, cruelty, tyranny, and licentiousness. One of the earliest allusions to the worship of the heavenly bodies occurs in the book of Job 31, 26-28. The age and writer of this book are alike unknown. By some it is ascribed to Job himself, by others to Moses by others to some writer who lived at a still later period. 
As, however, the scenes therein described had with great probability been referred to a period very little removed from that of which we have now arrived, it may be well to speak of them here. Job was an eminent eastern chief, dwelling in the very early times in the land of Uz. Job 1.1, probably Arabia Deserta, or as some suppose Mesopotamia. Greatest among the sons of the east, endowed with all the riches of his age, he ruled piously and wisely over a happy and numerous household, having seven sons and three daughters. To considerable mental attainments, he added a moral uprightness, which preserved him blameless in all the relations of life, and was declared by the Lord himself to be without his like in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Job 1.8 With large and liberal hand, he distributed to the necessities of the poor, so that whenever the ear heard him, then it blessed him. When the eye saw him, it gave witness to him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon him, and he caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. But in the midst of this almost perfect temporal happiness, he was suddenly overwhelmed with the heaviest misfortunes that can befall the sons of men. He who slandered God to Eve slandered Job before God, and affirmed that he did not fear him for naught, that if he were stripped of all his possessions, he would be as other men, and cursed the Lord to his face. Job 1.11 To put, therefore, the patriarch's faith to the most certain test, the accuser of mankind received mysterious permission to cast him down, and try him with the most grievous afflictions. Blow after blow descended upon him. From being the lord of a numerous and attached household, he suddenly became childless. For the storm of the desert swept over the house where his sons and daughters were assembled, and crushed them all beneath its ruins. From being the richest of the sons of the east, he suddenly became a beggar. For the thunderbolt, the fire of God, fell and struck down all his sheep as they were grazing quietly with their shepherds while his camels were carried off by a band of Chaldean robbers, and his oxen and asses by a horde of Sabians. And not only did he become a childless, beggared, ruined man, but upon his own body the black leprosy of the East set its awful mark, making him an object hateful and loathsome to look upon, smitten with sores from the sole of his foot even unto his crown. He sat apart, forsaken by his friends, and even by his wife. But amidst these awful trials his faith was not prostrated. When the terrible tidings reached him of the fate of his household, he said, in words of sublime resignation, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. When his wife, utterly unable to bear up, bade him curse his Maker and die, he replied, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Job 1 and 21, 2 and 10. Before long the news of his terrible affliction was noised abroad, and three of his old friends, Eliphaz from Teman, Bildad from Shua, and Zophar of Namath, came to mourn with him and to comfort him. In their presence, Job at length brake forth into desperate words, and cursed the day of his birth. Job 3 and 1. The storm of his soul was not calmed by the sympathy of his friends. 
Instead of pouring in the oil of comfort, they only heightened his griefs by ascribing his calamities to some great sin, some secret guilt, if not committed by himself, at least by his children, for which he was now punished. A distinct question was thus propounded. Is great suffering a proof of great guilt? Job's friends affirmed it was, and exhorted him to repent and confess. Job denied, and at great length labored to refute this. Job 4 and 5 to 32 At the close of their dialogue, Elihu, another and younger friend of the patriarch, intervened to moderate between the disputants. Unable to solve the problem of Job's calamities, he declared that afflictions, even when not the direct consequences of sin, were intended for good, and he reproved his friend for justifying himself rather than the Almighty and speaking unadvisedly of his works. Job 32-37 At length the Lord himself condescended to interpose in the controversy. From the midst of a whirlwind, in words of incomparable grandeur and sublimity, he silenced the murmurs of his servant, bidding him reflect on the glory of creation and learn from the marvels of the animal kingdom the stupendous power and wisdom of him with whom it is useless for a created being to contend. Job 38-41 to Thereupon, in deep contrition, Job acknowledged his error and supplicated the divine pardon for the bitterness and arrogance of his complaints. This penitent acknowledgment was accepted, and Job's three friends were severely reproved for their uncharitable surmises respecting the origin of his misfortunes. On the intercession, however, of the patriarch, they were pardoned, and he who had suffered him to be thus sorely tried, when his trials had served the purpose for which they had been sent, once more showered down upon him the riches of his goodness, restoring him to still greater prosperity than he had even enjoyed before, and made him the father of seven sons and three daughters, celebrated for their beauty above all the maidens of the East. Job survived his altered fortunes upward of a hundred and forty years, and then having seen his children to the fourth generation, died in a good old age, an instructive example of integrity, Ezekiel fourteen, fourteen and 20, and of patience under the most trying calamities, James 5, 11. End of Book 1, Chapter 5